Welcome to Women Inseparable with author and speaker Jacqueline Palmer. Our study this season is titled Jesus and Me Today. We know Jesus is coming back. With that in mind, what does your today look like? Here's Jacqueline. We're going to talk about worthy today. 1 Corinthians 15. Pastor Steve Crane was saying on Sunday, um, and making a reference, making a joke, if you will, about favorite passages, that everybody has favorite passages, and he was saying some of his favorite passages, and then he made this statement and said, typically whatever passage I'm studying at the time is my favorite passage, and I laugh. I'm like, that is so what we do here in Women Inseparable. 1 Corinthians 15, however, is one of my all-time favorite passages. So when I was in prayer this morning and God uh, led me to open with 1 Corinthians 15, I'm like, yes. There are 58 verses in this chapter we are not reading, all 58. I encourage us all to read all 58. Read it out loud. Let your ears hear what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. We're going to start with verse 35 and read to verse 49. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 35. This is what he says. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind of flesh for humans. There is another kind of flesh for animals. There is another for birds and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. Did you hear that verse? 1 Corinthians 15, 40. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun. There is another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, yet it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first. Did you catch that? It is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That's us. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And is the man, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. 
Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, catch this, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Heavenly Father, how grand is your love for us. The very fact that you gave us a book that we can hold in our very hands, that we can behold your love with our eyes. Father God, thank you for giving us the gift of hearing that we may hear the depth of your love, that we can hear the depth of your plan, the fullness of time according to God Almighty, the creator of all things. I pray today that as we open up, as we read 1 Corinthians 15, and as we study a short story in the book of Luke, I pray that you'll teach us something brand new. I pray that whatever it is that we know about this passage, what we know about the value of worth, that you will um, pause. I pray that you'll put a pause on it today so that we may see it for the first time, that we may grow in it. Lord Jesus, we're striving in these 10 weeks to live for you today. We know that you are coming again. We know that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is coming again. And in that, we live today. I pray that you'll help us to do that so much more today. I pray that your word will be alive, that your word will be spoken, that your word is the only thing that is beheld today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. First Corinthians 15 is power. My prayer is that while we read from Luke chapter 7, that we'll remember 1 Corinthians 15 in our head, that we'll see the match of the earthly, of the spiritual. Sometimes as a human in the form of flesh, in the form of the dust of the earth, we want to perceive things that are heavenly, things that are spiritual, things that are of God through our perception as a human. Have you ever struggled with that? You want to behold what God has given to us in the spiritual realm, but we want to do it in a human mindset. Do you know why we do that? Because we're human. First, we're natural, then we're spiritual. So our first response is going to be human because that it's how it is. However, if you know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and we have talked about that, if Jesus is your Savior, then spiritual is your next step. Spiritual is you today. So although we may respond in our natural, we are learning our spiritual. Does that make sense? So we're going to live every day in our natural. Our ears, our eyes, our skin, our touch, our everything is going to be natural because we are born human. But we're born again. In the name of Jesus Christ and in his resurrection, we are born again, which means we now have a natural tendency to respond in a spiritual manner. Do you see that in yourself? As a child of God, as a reborn daughter of the king, you now have a natural response to respond in a spiritual manner. You have that. Can we give ourselves permission to use that? Luke chapter 7. Luke 7, timeline, is that this account that we're going to read happens right after Jesus gives um, the Sermon on the Mount. 
So Jesus just finishes that we see in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Same parallel passage right here. This story happens in Matthew chapter 8, right after the Sermon of the Mountains is recorded there, and it's happening now in Luke chapter 7. So that's your parallel study if you want to further your study. We're going to start with verse 1. We're going to read to verse 10, and that's going to be our chunk today as we answer the question, am I worthy? Am I worthy? Have you ever asked yourself that? Have you ever found yourself on your knees, in your prayer closet, in your car, talking to God, in your moment, with the Lord, saying with your head, with your mouth, with your body, with your posture, am I worthy? Have you ever been there? Let's read scripture before I talk. May the Lord's words come always and only. Luke 7, verse 1. After he, this is Jesus... After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a servant. This servant was sick to the point of death. He was highly valued by the centurion. Do you see the setting of the story? Centurion had a servant. The servant was sick. The servant was dying. And this servant was a high value to the centurion. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews. A centurion is not a Jewish rank. Note that as you read this. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking Jesus to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, the elders of the Jews responded to the centurion's command. They did what they were told to do, what they were asked to do. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying these words, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. The centurion is not a Jew. Do you see the respect that is going on between the centurion and the Jewish nation or the Jews of his town? There is a mutual respect that is not common in this day. But they refer him as worthy. Verse 6, it says, And Jesus went with them. I love the shortness and the power of that sentence. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, he says, I did not presume, which is another form of worthy, depending on your uh, scripture. I'm using the ESV, depending on what version you're using. You may find the word worthy right there. It's the same idea of what's happening there. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too, he says, I too am a man set under authority. This centurion is saying these words to Jesus, understanding the similarities. He says, I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers that are under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to a servant, do this, and he does it. 
When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd, he said some words about this man. Interesting story. A story that I've read, a story I assume you guys have read before. Have you ever been curious about this story? This is one passage that always confused me. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. Some of the beautiful things about this passage is that this centurion is a Gentile. Jesus has not risen from the dead yet. Gentiles did not have place in the synagogue. They did not have place in the promise of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. A Gentile was outside the realm. So in that, he was not worthy of the Jews. He wasn't worthy of the God of Abraham. He was not worthy, and he knew that about himself. But this is what happens. He says, after he finished, after Jesus was talking to all the people, all the people that were worthy of hearing, he entered Capernaum. This centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death. He needed to do something about this servant, and he knew who he could go to. And three different times in this passage, we see the word or the context of worthy. And in today's society, we, um, we, have you ever noticed we minimize words today? Have you ever received a text, let's say from a 15-year-old boy that has the letter K on it? Instead of saying, yes, mother, I hear what you're saying, dear, I get K. If you ever get this, we don't speak so fluently. We don't speak in value of word. We minimize. We, uh, our speech is so low <laughs> in today's society. And so sometimes we get in our natural, our human mindset, and we read things that are so deep and so scripture and so spiritual, and we read it in that eye. So we get the word worth, and maybe we look it up in a dictionary, and we think of the word value, something to attain. Do you feel like that? Like if I have worth in something, I've achieved it. I and myself feel like I'm worthy to be your friend. And it's not so much of a pride thing, it's an accomplishment thing. Does that make sense? So when we think of being worthy of something, we think of it's external. We've earned place. Then we get in our closet and we get before our king and we say to our father, our father, mind you, the very one that calls you daughter, we get before our father and we say, I'm not worthy to be called your daughter. May I ask this one question? How would you feel if you're human? Think of your human, that human that just fills your heart with everything that spills joy from your very soul, whether it is a grandparent, a parent, a spouse, a child, a grandchild. Do you have that person in your mind? How would you feel if that person comes to you and every time they come to you, they say to you, I'm not worthy to be talking to you right now, but can I please meet you for coffee? You're like, um, what's wrong? What happened? What did you do? What would your response be? My husband is my, my person. He has been my joy, my stronghold, my world for 20 years. Love, love that man. 
if he came up to me, if he got home from work and a natural conversation comes to me and says, I'm not worthy to be home with you right now. What's for dinner? I'd be like, mm, what happened at work? <laughs> what, um, what'd you do? Wouldn't that be curious? There is a natural conversation that takes place where you don't even need a hello. You don't need a goodbye. You can start and stop a conversation at all times. And it's not a matter of him being worthy of my presence or me being worthy of his presence. It's that we are united. We are the same. Do you see the difference? But yet we do this with our God. We go to our God who sent his son to live in the flesh, to die on the cross, to be buried, to rise again. And we receive it and we believe it and we live it. But yet we say we're not worthy. When we say this, and may I say this as a sister, when we declare to our God in prayer, I'm not worthy to be talking to you, you are saying with this centurion, I am of the Gentile nation. I am not part of the body of Christ. May I ask again, are you worthy? Think about that. When you say to your God, I am not worthy, you are declaring, I am not part of the body of Christ. Is that fair to say? May I ask again, are you worthy? And you say, but I don't want to sound so prideful. Why not? Why not bride with the ring? Why not mom with the baby? We, we have pride of people that we love. We have pride with people that love us. And it's not a bad pride. It's a confidence pride. It's saying, my God loves me. How is that pride? That's confidence. Imagine the Gentile, the unsaved today that hears you declare, oh, I'm not worthy of God's love. Step into leading them to the Lord after that conversation. Think about that. If you're not worthy of God's love, then why are you telling me that I am? Doesn't connect. We look at it in a natural response, but daughter of the king, you're not natural any longer. You are spiritual, therefore you are worthy. Does that make sense? When the centurion heard, verse 3, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. The word worthy is in Scripture, in the New Testament, some 50 times. Again, pending um, your version, the word worthy or the context of worthy is in there at least 50 times. The majority of the times you find the word worthy, it is the context of deserving a due reward. It's a verb. It's not an adjective. It's not your description. It's a verb as if it's moving forward. The place we see the word worthy often is in the book of Revelation. And we think worthy is the one who was slain. It's the same exact verb usage in Revelation, speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ that is used for you and me today. Wrap your head around that. It's the same verb usage. As if to say, 
When Philippians 2 describes how Jesus was submissive to God the Father, left his image as God and took on the form of a man and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross, he took on the verb of worthy. And in his reward for his submission, he is exalted and lifted high. Does that make sense? His verb carried him through submission and into his reward. How is that you and me? We are called as a daughter of the king to submit to him, to obey him, and we have a reward waiting for us. So while we are waiting for that reward, we have a verb of worth that is moving before us. Do you see that? Paul tells us that we are heirs to God. We are joint heirs with Christ. Just as Jesus is the son that was submissive to God and his worth was an eternal reward, so are we a daughter of the king who are called to be submissive to God and to move forward to get our worth from God. It is a verb that is constantly moving us forward. It is the very heartbeat of the steady Jesus and me today. We are waiting for Jesus to come again. Oh, how we are waiting for Jesus to come again. Every day I feel you hear rumors of wars and you hear of wars. You hear a fight for freedom and you hear the song of freedom. And every day our eyes are seen and we declare, come Lord Jesus, even so, come Lord Jesus. Our whole heart desires that. And in our desire for the Lord to come again, we have today to live. We have to live today. And if there's one thing we can get from this message, from this story, it's the fact that we need to know our worth. We need to know that we are worthy to keep our eyes set on Jesus Christ. There's one other example of unworth in the Bible. It's when somebody stops their verb and turns around. This is not an easy one to talk about, but it's one Jesus talks about. We hear the passages of take up your cross and follow me. We hear passages of remember Lot's wife. We hear passages of Jesus saying those who put their hands to the plow, because we're farmers, we know what that means. But we put our hands, our hands on our gift, and we lay our gift before the king, and then we lay down our gift, and we turn around and walk away. It's the same idea. Friend, that's where unworth comes in. It's you saying, I know my verb. I'm so set on my verb. My verb is, and you ignore it and you walk away from that eternal reward that is sitting before us. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Are you worthy? Are you worthy? As a daughter of the king, living in submission with your eyes set, beholding what is set before you to see, you are in fact always, at every moment, worthy. Unless two situations you are outside of the family of God, then you are not worthy of the love of the Father until you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Then instantly you are given that verb that goes before you. You don't need to create it, it's there. What am I supposed to do today, verb? Do you like being told what to do? We love being told what to do. That's why we have checklists. Read your Bible, done. Pray, done. Go to church, done. Smile at the person you don't like, done. 
We like verbs. And here God is telling you, I have the only verb you need to worry about. The only verb you need to worry about is Jesus. It's what Jesus was trying to teach Peter on the water. The world is not going to stop. The world's not going to stop. The storm is not going to stop. Have you ever noticed that? Have you lived long enough to realize the storm is not going to stop? This is what Jesus was teaching Peter. While he's on the water and the storm was not stopping, he says, zero in. Zero in. How hard is it to zero in? It's his verb. It's the only thing Peter had to do at that moment. Think about that. Only thing he had to do is get his eyes. Set your eyes. But the storm, I know. I know I have power over that storm. I'm allowing, I'm allowing that storm to happen. Right now, set your eyes. Set your eyes. Get your verb. You are worthy to be called my daughter. See, he was telling Peter, you are worthy to be walking on water toward me right now. Set your eyes. Don't let that storm knock you down. Set your eyes. Don't worry about your checklist. Set your eyes. Don't worry about getting human worth before God. That's a false measure. That's Micah 6.8. That's that, that false measure we were talking about a couple weeks ago. Don't, don't allow your own natural measure declare if you're worthy of the Lord. Because your self-measure is never going to allow you to be worthy of the Lord. So Romans 3.23, we will always fall short of the glory of God. But... Jesus. It's your verb. Set your eyes. This centurion was seen as worthy. That's the verb that is being expressed right here in verse 4. By the Jews, the Jews saw this exact level of worth. It's that exact root word that the Jews saw in this unsaved Gentile centurion. Fascinating. Fascinating. These Jews saw this unsaved Gentile man worthy of God. How is that possible? I feel like the last verse of this passage wraps that up and explains that, but we'll get to that in a minute. He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation and he is one who has built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. This worthy is not that verb worthy that we were talking about. This worthy is the one where he knew positionally he was not worthy. He was not a circumcised Jew. He was not. He knew that. It's a humbling sentence to say, especially when you have a man who knew who Jesus was. The story declares that. He had something that did not exist at this time. He had an evidence of the Holy Spirit in him. The Holy Spirit had not come. Jesus was still here. The Holy Spirit does not come until Acts 2. We don't see the Holy Spirit often in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see him comfort Jesus when he fasted for 40 days. We hear him in the heart of Peter when Peter declares, you are the Christ. 
And Jesus says, upon that truth, I build my, my church. This Gentile gets a touch of the Holy Spirit. Fascinating. It's a beautiful, beautiful dialogue. And yet he says, I'm not worthy. Positionally, I'm not worthy. I'm an uncircumcised Gentile. He knew his place. He spoke truth. Verse 7 is where we see the third context of worthy. He says, therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority. There is another form of the word worthy, and I'm sorry that we're doing a word study today. Sometimes I geek out over words. This word worthy is a word worthy to be geeked out over. <laughs> there is another form of the word worthy that is used five times in scripture, okay? Within the, the gospels, this word is only used five times. Four of the times are about the same exact account. The account is John the Baptist declaring, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, one of whom I am unworthy to untie his laces. Four times that account is used. He says, this is the one, this is the one. This is the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. I don't even deserve to get on his feet. Can't even touch his lace. The only other time that context is used in all of scripture is right here. This Gentile knew things. How? How did this Gentile know things that the Jews had no idea? How many times do we see Jews in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and John beholding the face of Jesus and they say, we're waiting for our Messiah to come. They don't even see it. But this Gentile who was so unworthy, socially unworthy to behold the King of Kings knew who was set before him. He knew who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew that Jesus was the eternal Son of God. How did he know this? How did he know the same context, the same depth of words that John the Baptist declared? The only way John the Baptist knew how to declare that is because the Holy Spirit filled him at birth. Called John the Baptist to declare. His whole life was set around this declaration. To declare, behold the Lamb. This Gentile, this undeserving Gentile, knew. He knew we hear this in our modern ear and we're like, oh yeah, worthy, worthy, worthy. It's all the same. It's not the same. He knew that he was unworthy as a sinner. He knew he was unworthy as a Gentile, but he knew that Jesus was nothing but worth. And he knew that because Jesus was worth and because his eyes were on him, that he in and of himself could ask Jesus a favor. In his social separation of the day, he was strong enough to say, I know I'm not worthy, but I'm going to behave as if I'm worthy because I have a question for you. He lived it. He lived it. 
And that's the difference that we see in this Gentile that we don't see in ourselves sometimes. Sometimes we as Christians, we as daughters, live like we're not worthy. Sometimes. Do you like when I say sentences like that? Sometimes we get so caught up on our um, checklists and our convictions and our, oh, I can't do that. I can't eat that. I can't wear that. I can't drink that. I'm not going to sin. 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 It's Monday. Okay, new day. <laughs> Isn't it tiring? Are you tired of that? Do you ever get tired of constantly thinking, can't do that, can't do that, don't do that, don't do that? It's exhausting. Jesus is giving us permission to not do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. You want confirmation of that? Read this little book called Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 tells us about walking worthy, that living your call in a worthy manner. That's that verb. It actually extends it into an adverb. And then it continues on. Paul says in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, some of us are familiar with the book of Colossians. And it tells us, set your eyes, set your eyes, set your eyes. He says, live your life in a worthy manner. And why are you worthy? Because Jesus set your eyes, set your eyes, set your eyes. It's so simple. It's so simple. We make it difficult because we step away and in our natural human state, we say, oh, I need to get better, do more, be more, perform more. And we give ourselves that, that rating, that comparison again. And we build ourselves up so that we could be worthy. Jesus says, don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. First Timothy, I was reading First Timothy today, and it's fascinating, fascinating study. I want to study First Timothy, actually. Lots, I had lots of questions in First Timothy. But he was saying in that book, so many people, and this is what Paul is telling Timothy as Timothy is stepping in to become a pastor of a church at a young age. He says, this is my charge for you regarding worth. He says, there's going to be many people around you, Paul says. So many, many people around you that are going to get their eyes off their worth, off Jesus, and they're going to want to do things. And they're going to fall away from the faith. What things does Paul list in 1 Timothy that they want to do? Oh, they want to stop eating things. They want to stop doing things. They want to start doing things. It was all religious. And here we are in today's society, and we do the same thing. We're constantly doing that. We're doing the same thing that Paul was fighting against so many years ago. Stop being religious. Stop trying to improve your natural self because your natural self has one glory. We're not living for that glory. The spiritual thing has a glory. We're living for that glory. How do you do that? How do you not focus on your natural self and focus on your spiritual self? Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God. Set your eyes. When you think about not sinning, what are you going to do? You're going to sin. When you set your eyes on Jesus, you're going to be in the flesh. You're still going to sin, but you're going to set your eyes on Jesus. You're going to be like, I fell, but I'm a righteous man. I'm going to get back up. And it's not going to trip you up anymore. And you're not going to live for not sinning anymore. You're going to live for Jesus. It's a different mentality. 
say it sounds the same, it is not the same. When you live to not sin, you're facing this way. When you live to live for Jesus, you're facing this way. There's a huge difference. I encourage each of us to take 30 days, 30 days, no checklist, 30 days, no thinking about sin, 30 days, no thinking religious, 30 days of setting our eyes as if we're Peter in the midst of a storm and looking only at the worth, the verb that is set before us. Every time your head wants to say, oh, can't do that, set your eyes on Jesus. Every time your head says, oh, I need to do this better, set your eyes on Jesus. See if you find a difference. There is a difference when you live for your natural to get the glory of natural and you live for Jesus to get the glory of the spiritual. 1 Corinthians 15 says one day we're going to be resurrected. Are you worthy of that reward? That's your reward. Live today worthy of that reward. It's coming. Oh, oh, it's coming. Jesus, our risen Savior, is coming again. Heavenly Father, we cannot wait for the day that you send your Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth for our eternal resurrection. Oh, Lord God, we cannot wait. And in our waiting, Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that we are together. We are together doing things for your glory, for your honor, in the name of the Spirit of God as we wait for the coming, for the revealing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, that we do not lose sight on that. I pray that we won't lose heart. I pray that we won't be religious. Father God, I pray that you'll just take the religion out of us. May I pray that, permission to pray that in a church building, that the church building will not define us, that a man's rule will not define us, that our own self-worth in a modern mentality will not define us, that, Father God, that the verb of being worthy of the reward of the eternal resurrection is what defines us. That's something that we cannot attain ourselves. That's something that begins with our relationship with Jesus Christ and continues daily, even today, through the name of Jesus Christ. Father God, thank you for calling us worthy. Thank you for giving us the title of worthy. I pray, Father God, that we will live that today, all for your kingdom, all for your glory, all for your praise. Father God, all these words are spoken in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.